Well, morning, everybody, and morning to those um, online, and uh, thanks to Hilt whenever he does watch this, and to Jin for having me to share the word this morning. Um, it's a topic that is always so close to my heart because I think I've spent the last 30-something years really teaching on worship and trying to get people to understand what, it, what it's about. So it's a great privilege to share, share again um, this morning. So Colin's already introduced me. So I'm Yvonne Gregg, and obviously uh, Roger and I, we uh, started the church so many years ago, 20, uh, I don't know, lost count, 26, I think, years ago. Um, in our lounge. So, and worship has always been the one thing that has been a key. It's a pillar that this, that this church has been built on. So it's already good to, to understand what it's all about. And uh, now as Hill said last week, he said that the reason why we're doing this series is because for many people, and especially if you're a new Christian, you don't really have the right definition of worship. We all have a, we think we know what it is. And often we think of it as being a religious or a formal setting, or it's what we've just done now, it's the songs, and that's really all that worship is. But it isn't. That is not what worship really is. And uh, so a little quick recap for, from last week. There were two, two points, two important points that Hilton made. And the first one is that we're all worshiping something. Even if you're not a Christian, you're worshiping something. Because worship is expressing your love to something, and all of us have something that we really, really like. And then, because we really like it, it gets our time, it gets our money, it gets our loyalty, it gets our adoration, it's on our calendar. We're not going to miss it. It's in, it's in our conversation. We talk about it all the time. You're going to do it because you love it. And whether it's guys, if you like going hunting, or like, like uh, Roger, he's a, he's a petrol head, so he loves to go to funnel and look at all the cars and takes his two grandsons with him because they all love it. And they all talk about how many revs and this one and that one and I'm in, whatever, I don't, don't know, really know. <laughs> but you might like, there's so many different things. You can like rugby, you can like, except, except this morning, you're not gonna really like rugby so much. But, but there's so many things, home decor or whatever. Okay, we all know the things that we really, really like. And God doesn't mind that. He doesn't mind us liking things. And he doesn't mind us spending time on those things. As long as you don't love it more than you love him. And that's the first commandment. We are, don't have any gods above me or before me. And the second point, which was a, a good definition of what worship is. It says worship is our response to that which we value the most. And it was put together by Robert Morris, who many of you will know is the pastor at Gateway Church. And if you've done the Blessed Life series, a fantastic series, that's who Robert Morris is. And he's an overseer actually of Church of the, of the Highlands. And so much of this morning's teaching has actually come from, from him. So this morning, we're going to take it a little bit further, a little bit deeper, and it's almost like the theology of, of worship. So the first question that we have to ask, if we want to understand what worship is, who was the first worshiper? And uh, we need to know this because there is, a, in understanding the Bible, there's what's called the law or the principle of first mention. So if you really want to understand something or know the truth about it, what does God really mean when he talks about worship? You go back and you find out where it's first mentioned 
in the scripture. And then that context will give you a proper understanding of what it's about. So, we go back into the Bible, and the first worshiper that's recorded in the Bible is one of the archangels whose name is Lucifer. Now, there are three named archangels in the Bible. The first one is uh, Michael, and Michael is always working in response to prayer. That's his job. So, prayer. And in spiritual, uh, and, and, and he does spiritual warfare. So, when we pray, Angels, under the charge of Michael, are released into the heavenlies to war on our behalf. And so we have an account of that in Daniel, when Daniel is praying and praying and praying, and eventually Michael comes along and he says, sorry, I was delayed for three weeks because the prince of Persia was contending with me. He was fighting with me, and now I'm going to give you my message, and then I'm going back, and I'm going to contend with him again. Because countries and cities have demonic strongholds over them. They have uh, like these, these uh, spirits that, that, that control those cities and everybody just marches to that drumbeat without them even knowing it. So th you find in different places, you have a prevalence of more uh, certain, certain things. So Michael is always, is, that's his role, is to do with prayer. The second one is Gabriel. We all know Gabriel. Gabriel is the angel who came to Mary. Okay, so we find Gabriel is always linked with the word. He brings the word. He brings a message from God, came to Mary, said, you're going to conceive a son by the Holy Spirit, and his name is going to be Jesus. He's going to be the Savior. So Gabriel and the word. The third one is an archangel called Lucifer, which actually means like, and, and he was over worship. He was in charge of worship in the heavens. And we look at it, all of heaven, whatever you see happening, is always represented by these three things. Prayer, the word, and worship. Every church service should have prayer, preach the word, and worship. Your quiet time, your own personal time, should have prayer, the word, and worship. So if you haven't started yet a, a, a quiet time, a good way to do this is five minutes praying, five minutes in the word, and five minutes worshiping. Five minutes, five minutes in worship, and you will become a little dynamo. Okay, so we see that, and we, then we see, okay, well, what happened with this worshiper? So in the book of Revelation, it tells us, it recounts that Satan fell. He was expelled from heaven, and when he was expelled, he took a third of the angels with him. Okay, three archangels, most people believe that the angels were divided in, in, under these three, so they were, they were in charge. So he swept, it says his tail swept them with him when he fell from heaven. We now know those angels, because they're not good anymore, they are what we call demons or evil spirits. And he's still in charge of them, and he was cast down to the earth. So we're going to look at this archangel Lucifer today, because he is mentioned as being the person who was created, well, not person, the angel was created, over worship. He actually covered the throne of God in worship. And we find his, his uh, story in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. So those are going to be our two passages this morning. Now, if we start in Isaiah, we're not starting right at the beginning, we're going to start at about verse 12, but you will see if you open your Bibles and you look at it, You'll, say, you'll see that it is written to the king of Babylon. And so you might think, oh, I don't know where they get this from because actually it doesn't say Lucifer, it says king of Babylon. 
But many times in the, in the, in the scriptures, well, what happened is they, a method would be directed to a person, but it's referring to the spirit behind that person. So although it says king of Babylon, it's referring to the spirit that is behind what he's doing, who is Lucifer. Another example of that is that we know there's a story that where Peter's just given this wonderful thing, you are the, the Christ, the son of the living God, and he gets praises from, from, from Jesus. And then the next minute he turns around and says, when Jesus talks about going to the cross, and he says, um, he says, oh no, forbid it that you wouldn't do all of the, any of that. And Jesus points to Peter and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. So he's just been praised, how wonderful, you have the spirit of God. Now he's been ca calling Peter Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You see, although he's pointing and talking to Peter, he's referring to the spirit behind what Peter was saying and who led him to say that. So in Isaiah 14, 12, we read, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. So we can see, okay, the king of Babylon wouldn't have been in heaven. It's Lucifer. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. So, we said he was expelled um, from, from heaven. Now, when was he expelled from heaven? So many scholars believe that he was expelled and he was cast out from heaven between Genesis 1, verse 1, and Genesis 1, 2. Okay, Genesis 1, we know it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he, he created everything to do with the heavens, all the angels, everything that, that goes on there, the planets, everything. And so, so that was done. Then in between, Satan gets expelled. He gets cast down. And then when we see verse 2, where it says that the earth was formless and void and deep darkness was over it. Why was there deep darkness over it? Because Satan had been cast down to it. And, so, and he was roaming around there. He was operational on the earth. And that's what he brings with him. So then verse, so verse 2 kind of makes sense, and then verse 3, God says he is involved in all that, and says, so we need to sort this guy out. Okay, and he says, let there be light to bring light to the darkness that Lucifer has brought with him. Okay, you all all right? Okay. So then you got, you'll sit there and say, well, why was Lucifer expelled from heaven? Why did God cast him down? And so we're going to carry on looking in Isaiah, and you'll see there are highlighted parts, I hope they come up highlighted, that actually shows everything about what happened to, to Lucifer in that he wanted to be higher than God. Sometimes we call it the five I wills, okay? There are five times that he says, I will, I will. So there's something that is perfect that is in his heart, his heart has shifted. He doesn't say, oh, I'd like to be or I want to be. He says, I will. In other words, I'm going to make sure that I do, I do this. So Isaiah 14, verse 13 to 14 says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Okay, the stars there are, are, the, are the, all the other angels. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon, which is the sacred mountain, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. In other words, he's saying of everything that God has done, he's going to be above it all. And he, then he says, the final thing is he says, I will make myself like the most high. 
And so you can see, out of all the names of God that they have, Lucifer calls God the Most High. He recognizes there isn't anything or anyone above God. He is number one. And now what he's showing is that in his heart, this means that in his heart, he, he, he resents the fact that God is number one. And he resents the fact that God is the one who's getting all the attention and all the adoration and all the worship. And he says, I want that. I want to be number one. And his strategy hasn't changed. He still wants to be number one. And for most of us, we're born under him. We also want to be number one. So that's how he decides one day he wants to be above God. And that is still his goal today. And how he does it is that he wants, he works through us. He wants to get all the attention off God and onto anything else. And he makes us do that so that in it, he himself gets the worship. Because why? We're not bowing down to him and worshiping him. We haven't got a little idol. But when we do that, we are really worshiping him because he is the one who's behind it and he is the one who's accomplished it. He is the one who has managed to get us to get our attention off what we should have it on. And so that's why your worship and what you worship is that you have to be so very careful of what you do with it. Because anytime we redirect it off the only one who is worthy, who's the most high God, we inadvertently help Satan accomplish his goal. And you can see it when Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, you know, the, the, his temptations, and the one who then says to Jesus, he said, fall down and worship me. Look, look at all of these things. Look at all the nations of the earth. Look at everything on the earth. Just fall down and worship me, and I'll give it all to you. You don't have to go to the cross. Just fall down and worship me. And um, you see, he knew that the earth belonged to him because that's what he had stolen from mankind. Mankind was given the earth to rule and reign. And he took it, and he took the authority that mankind had, and so he knew. He says, all of these belong to me. The people, the nations, everything belongs to me. I am their God. And so, so he, he does it. He's fall down. And he says, I'll give you the earth. Because even in Corinthians, it calls him the God of this age. The little God, the little one. He's in charge. He is the God of the earth. And he says, I'll give it back to you, but you must worship me. And we need to know this because our worship, your worship, and where you're directing your passions, your energy, your devotion, your time, love, and money is important because it reveals who you worship or what you worship. So in Isaiah 14, verse 11, in the New King James, it says this, your pomp is brought down to Sheol, to Hades. He says your pomp, your pride, and all your big bragging and whatever you're doing is going, is going to be brought down. It's brought down. And the sound of your stringed instruments as well. So as I was writing this, says, you're going to be brought down. You and all your worship, your, you and your stringed instruments are going to come down. And when it's in stringed instruments, we think, okay, well, did Satan, Lucifer sit there in heaven and have his little harp, you know, all day, that's all he did. No, he actually was a stringed instrument. He was created with mu music within him. So they believe that actually he was designed that way, that he was in his whole, in his whole being, God created him as a stringed instrument. 
So he couldn't do anything else but bring worship. And it was part of his makeup. So it says there, it says that you're going to be, you're going to be brought down. Now, the second place that this archangel and his fall is taught of is in Ezekiel 28. Now, this scripture is written to the king of Tyre. And again, it's the same principle. Referring to the spirit behind is Lucifer. And we'll see that because it says that you were in, in Eden, the garden of God, and you were on the mount. So it's not talking about the king of Tyre. Literal person, he's actually referring to, to, to um, Lucifer. Now, Ezekiel 28, 12 to 13 says, You were the seal, the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Perfect in beauty. He was a spectacular being. He was so beautiful. And he says, You were in, in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Now remember all those stones, because we're going to come back to them a little bit later. But you can picture it. He's a stringed instrument, okay? And he's just got all of these jewels all over him. He's created with all of these jewels in him. He is sparkling, okay? And then, it's because that's how God, he dressed him that way, dressed him in these beautiful, adorned him with jewels of every precious stone. Then in, 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 can we carry on in verse 13. It says, your settings and your mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. So, so what is a setting and what is a mounting? You know, sometimes we can think of it, okay, well, it's a ring. You know, you have a setting and mounting. But that's not what he's talking about. It also says about gold. Now, gold is another thing. Is that the most precious um, uh, commodity that you, that you can have. So to understand it, if we look at the New King James, it says this. It says, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. In other words, so now he's not just a stringed instrument. He also has timbrels and pipes, which are of gold. Now, a timbrel is a cymbal, okay, something that you bang. And a pipe is anything, is a wind instrument, is, is an instrument that you would blow. So... He, he, he's now not only has these jewels and, it's, and all his instruments, they're made of gold, and he's just absolutely spectacular. Now, he's a stringed instrument, he's timbrel, and he's, and he's pipes. All musical instruments fall into these three categories. You have string instruments, guitars, violins, even a piano is a stringed instrument. It's got strings, okay? A harp, anything that you pluck to make a noise. There's a percussion, so, which is the cymbals. Anything you hit to make a noise, drums, cymbals, ding, ding, triangles, any of those kind of things, okay? And then you have wind instruments, which are the pipes. So anything that you blow through, you push air through to make a musical sound. So you'll have a flute, you have trumpets, you have saxophones, okay? You have wood ones and you have, you have the metal ones. Anything that you blow through to make a sound. A if, you, if you go to the, the symphony uh, concerts, the symphony orchestra has these three. They, they have them in sections. There's the, the wind section, there is the percussion se uh, section, and then there is the string section. If you've been there, you'll see all the violinists all sit together, and the bass, and the, and the um, what's the other one? One above the bass. <laughs> Forgotten. Me just had a memory loss. Okay, so they always have these three. Now, 
Lucifer himself possessed all three. He was worship and he was music, music in, a, in a being. And because he was the worship leader in heaven and every jewel, we carry on with Ezekiel, and it says that you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. So he was anointed, meaning God put something upon him, that music would be anointed, that he would do that. And as I said, that he was the anointed cherub, the guardian cherub. He guarded the throne of God, and, and how he guarded it was in this area of worship and with music. It was ongoing. And so when it's anointed, it says when you do something, things happen. You know, we talk about if there's an anointed worship leader or something like that, and it's just amazing, it's just different. Most people, if you have music, all of us have been created that way, is that there is an anointing, which is why it's, music is so powerful. You see, it, it can shape culture. There's something that God has put it into it. It's anointed. See, it's not just like it's pleasant to the ear. Something happens. So because it's powerful, so you, you can sense the presence of God when, when, there's, when there's anointing because God put anointing power on music. And it's worship music of all types does exactly the same thing. Whether it's Christian, whether it's secular music, it will move you. Okay? Cultures are shaped by their music. Okay? We've all experienced that with music. In 1980, Ozzy Osbourne had a song, released a song called Suicide Solution. And that year, suicide went up 400% in America. Now, there are many stats that have gone long time after that where they've said and other songs that have come out which have have shown the same thing where there is a song that becomes popular speaks about suicide teenage suicides go up and so the songs that we listen to and, and particularly it's a worrying thing today so I, I talk to young people about it all the time you get young kids and parents I just want to say to you be careful what your kids are listening to because they are attracted by the music they're attracted by the music, but they sing the lyrics. And they're singing that word over themselves, and they don't even know what they are singing. And that singing, that word is going into them and into them and into them, and it is shaping them because it is connected to a music which is so powerful, and it's moving them. See, Satan is still in charge of music. Just look at the music industry and see what it looks like and the terrible things that happen. Okay, he is, we're gone. He is anointed, that's what we've read, he's anointed as a guardian cherub because God ordained it. And he says, you were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness, which Isaiah 14 told us, was found in you. Through your widespread trade, and we want to look at that word trade because it's an important word because that's what Satan did. He traded what he had. He traded it. See, he replaced what belonged to God and he took it for himself. And so we have to be careful that we haven't inadvertently done that as well. That we haven't traded what belongs to God and given it to something else. See, we can come in here and then we give God our little lip service and put our little spiritual hat on and we do our little things for a few minutes and then we go out and we give our love and devotion to everything else in the world. Because that's what's happened to Satan 
And that's what he wants every one of us to do. But look at the result. In Ezekiel 28, 16, he says, okay, through your, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the Mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. And he says from among the fiery stones is because in the, when you read the book of Revelation, the throne of God and everything about it, it just speaks about these stones. And every one of those stones represents something. They're symbols of, of different things. We don't have time to do that this morning. And he goes on, he says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. See, it was spectacular. And so I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Now, as I already said, the New Testament calls Satan, Lucifer, the god of this age. He's the god of the earth. And, you know, Jesus talks about this. He says, and talks about him being expelled from heaven when the disciples, they come back. You know, he sent them all out. He's busy training them. And he sends them out and they come back and they are so excited. And they say, wow, you know, we can't believe it. Even the demons, even the demons listen to us. They're subject to us in your name. And Jesus says to them, he says, of course they are. <laughs> like you still don't know, I'm God. Of course they are. My name is above every other name. And he says, you know what? Not only that, he said, I know what happened. I was there when it happened. See, I saw dad do it. In Luke 10, he said, he, he says to them, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And it wasn't a fight. Many of us have this idea that, they, that, that Satan and God, they are these two superpowers. That there was a contest in heaven and that there was a fight. There was no fight in heaven. Okay. Jesus, basically, that's what he's saying to them. He's saying, listen, this doesn't explain what happened, but he said, you know what? When my dad decided to do it, boom, he was gone. Just like that. Like lightning. With no argument, nothing. Boom, you're out. Poof, you're gone. Down. See, so it's not, it's not like a two-hour movie that you've got the two superheroes there. And they're fighting each other, and hopefully the good one ends in the, in, 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 right at the end. See, no, if God had a movie about when Satan fell like lightning, it would last a millisecond. Just like that. Probably even quicker. No contest. No contest. But now, there's no worship leader. There's no person in charge of worship. So there's a vacancy to be filled because we still have to have prayer, the word, and worship still needs to take place. So who's going to do the worship? Because he's gone. He and, his, he and his angels now are gone. The demons, they've gone. And they want worship for themselves. So who's the new worship leader? It's you. It's me. It's us. See, everything that God did when he created Lucifer, he has put in us and on us so that we would do the job. We were made, we sang it, we were made for worship. And so to this day, so as I said before, there are people who are anointed. The problem is 
we don't recognize where it's come from, we make them stars and we start to worship them. We, we, we make them stars because of their music and we marvel at their ability to draw crowds. Look at these guys. Where are the concerts, isn't it? We got mad and the girls faint and everything else and they throw their bras and whatever. But it's from God. It's from God. Without God's anointing and without his, his music, that, that person couldn't do anything. You see, it's because we've been given the job. They're just using it the wrong way. But in even Christian music, it happens the same thing. And so each one of us have to make sure that we redirect that back to the only one who is worthy of our praise. And you know what's interesting? When they say he made us, he made us like, like, like he made Lucifer. He made us. We have three instruments in our bodies. Ah, you're going to look at me and say, now you're talking rubbish. In our, vo in, our, in our throat, there are two little cords that are stringed instruments that vibrate and make sounds. Well, okay, okay, I'll give you that one. Well, what about the wind instrument? Our lungs. Our lungs come and the air passes up as we blow through our vocal cords and through the voice box so that we are able to sing, that we are able to speak, that we are able to declare and worship. Out of our mouth, we can declare his praises. So you're a stringed, you have stringed instrument and you're a wind instrument. Okay, okay, okay. But, but what about the percussion? I don't see any cymbals going along. There's your percussion. What we do with our hands is to bring, is to clap and bring applause and magnify God with our hands. See, we don't clap in church because it's got a good beat. Most people, that's what they think you do. But clapping's got nothing to do with the beat. It's to give praise and glory and, and, and worship to God. Applause, like you clap for, for people. It is actually a part of an instrument of warfare, but that's another thing. See, every part of you was designed to worship God because you are the replacement of the unemployed worship leader, Lucifer. Okay, all right, all right. So what does that really mean for you and for, for me? And how, knowing that, that's how God made me, how does that change my life? So there are three truths, three points that we should know and embrace into our lives. The first one is that God made me from him, okay? He made you, God made you from himself. In Genesis 1, God did two things. He created some things and he made some things. What's the difference? When he created something, a created thing is something that, that it comes from nothing, okay? He just created from nothing. So, for example, he said, let there be light. He just said it, and then there was light. A made thing is when it is, it's made from something that is already ex exists. So you take from that. So, for example, you have a, bunch of, a whole clump of clay. You take that clay and you make a vase or you make a bowl or you make something. Something is made from something 
that already exists. So, example in, in, in Genesis, Genesis 1.11 says, says, God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land. See, God didn't say, let there be trees. He said, no, the land must produce the trees. It must come out of the, uh, out of the land. And so, his, why did he do that? So his intention is that whenever something is made, everything that is made instead of being created, it's because he wants there to be a relationship between the two. There's a dependency between the two. That, what you have been made from, you're connected to it. So, he wants those two to be close. So he said, okay, earth, the land, you produce the trees. Now tree, you're created or made from the earth, so you will be sustained by the earth. You will, one day, you will go back to the, to the earth when you're too old, okay? You'll go back to the dirt. So stay close to the earth, stay close to the dirt, because any time a tree decides to not be close to the dirt, to disconnect from the dirt, what happens? It does. It can't live without the, without the earth. So when, as example, when God created the woman, he, created, he made one man and one person and he created, they separated them. He didn't say, let there be woman. He said, no, he took from the, from the inside of the man, Okay, well, people say it wasn't rib, but it actually wasn't. It was the inner part of, of, a, of the essence of that person. And he made the woman from the man. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, because he wanted there to be a relationship between the two. So, for us, all of us, were we created? Was mankind created? Or were, was mankind made? They were made. The original man and the woman, they were made. What were they made from? You see? They, had a, they were made from God himself. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Let us make mankind in our image. Let's take something from ourselves. In our likeness, we're going to take from ourselves and we are going to make mankind. We're going to put it into them. Because it's important for us to know that because we, we, were, we came from him, we were made from him, we are meant to be sustained by God, and we will return to God. Okay, so most of you know the story. It says we were, we were made from the dust of the ground, the earth. That's their secondary source. That speaks about your body. Your earthly body was made from the earth, okay? you sustained by the earth because you eat the produce of the land, and one day you will return to the earth, your body. But your spirit man is from God. It is sustained by God and will return to God. It lives forever. But the day that you decide you can live your life apart from and be disconnected from God, you will die. And that's what happened to the man and the woman in the garden. They died. And all of us have been born out of that. And so when you do that, this personalizes your relationship with God. We are being made from himself. Second point is we were made for him. The reason why I came from God is so that I can be with him. There's got to be a relationship between the two. And too many people in the world have a formal relationship with God. You know, they come and they say, oh, I don't really like God. I'm a bit scared of him. I don't know. You know, I know I'm meant to love him, but I don't really love him. And... Uh, but I know it's important, so I'll come to your house, God, like, 
uh, every week. I'll come once a week, an hour or two hours every week, and we'll reconnect. I'll say, how's it there? And then I'll say, cheers. I'll see you next Sunday. And that's sad because God never intended that. We were made from him for him. And you know, there's a scary scripture in Matthew 7 where Jesus is talking about judgment day. And he says this, many will say on that day, I called you Lord, but you will not enter into heaven. And they say, but why? And Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. We didn't get close. You thought I needed your attendance or I needed your money. Oh, that's very nice. But it's not what I wanted. I wanted you. I wanted to be close to you. God never created us to be a religious person. He created us to be in relationship with him. And that's why our first value is worship. It's the starting point. And then God gives the example, and so much of the Bible and the New Testament is, is the example that he gives of the relationship that he wants with us is marriage. In Ephesians 5, 31 to 32, he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He's quoting from Genesis. And this is a profound mystery. I'm talking about the, about the church and Christ. He's saying, the example of marriage, he says, is actually not really about the man and the woman. It's about me and my church. And because it's a mystery, you know what, a mystery, you have to search it out. You have to ask him, what do you mean by this? See, he, he says, he, he will look and say, look, I'm using this as an example. You see that couple there, they're getting married, how much they love each other. They, in actual fact, they can't wait, wait to get out of the reception. They can't wait, wait to start their honeymoon so they can spend every day together and they can know each other intimately. That's what they want to do. That's why they're getting married. He says, that's what I want. I never intended a group of people to put their best clothes on, come and smile, sing a few religious songs and see me every week. His example is marriage, intimacy. That word new is actually the word for sexual intercourse, to be intimate with him. You know, and one day when this world, everything else, the end of time comes, we're going to get to heaven, okay? Whether you died physically or whether you didn't die physically, we're going we're to get there. We're going to be in heaven. And some of us have a warped idea of what that's going to be like. Sometimes we think, oh, we're going to be in the choir, well, I'm going to have to spend forever like down, bowing down and saying, oh, holy, holy, holy God. And I'm never going to look up and it's going to go on forever and ever and ever. Or, or some of us, actually most of us think that what we're going to do is somehow we're going to develop some wings and we're going to sit on the cloud and we're going to play our harp. And you see it with people. What do they say? There's another angel in heaven. No, there's not an angel in heaven. We do not become angels. And we're not going to sit on a, on a cloud and play a harp. Somebody once said, where, at a Bible study once, she said, I don't think I want to really want to go to heaven. So he said, why? She said, oh, I, think I couldn't think of anything more boring. To sit on the harp and sit on the cloud all day. Well, you know what? That's not going to happen. See, he's already got angels who do all those things. When we get there, we're going to a marriage. We're going to a wedding. We're called the bride of Christ. 
That's who the church is. And we're going to walk down the aisle with him. We're going to have a ceremony where we're going to be wed with him. And when the wedding's over, we're going to have a reception. We're going to have a party. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I don't know about you and parties, okay? Listen, our husband, he's supposed to love party. But you know what, a party? Anybody been to a party and said... Have you been to a wedding reception? What happens in a wedding reception? What are you doing? You're dancing and you're clapping and you're shouting and you are, oh, those are great. You're drinking, but the wrong spirit. <laughs> That's what a party is, isn't it? That's a party. Whoa, I can't believe this. Glorious. That's what heaven's gonna be like. See, Revelation 21, 9 says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. That's who you are. And guys, you're called the wife. Do you know what? So best you get to know what a wife is and what her role is and to understand her because that's what you're gonna be. That's why it's a mystery. That's why it's a myth, And I think that's why marriage is attacked so much. And they have all these stupid ideas about marriage and the relationship between a man and woman. Do you know why? Because Satan's behind it. Because he knows it represents the relationship between the bride and her bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And if we can mess marriage up, we mess our relationship up with Christ. 21.10, he says, he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. See, he's now saying, he says, hey, I've got my bride. Now I'm going to take her home. I've created this home for her. Beautiful home. Watch what he's adorned it with. Revelation 21.19 to 20. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. You remember the precious stones in the beginning that Lucifer had? The first, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, ruby, chrysolite, uh, beryl, topaz, turquoise, jacinth, and, the, and amethyst. All of these decorating your home. God said to Lucifer, you're going to misuse, misuse these? I'm going to take them and I'm going to give them to my new worship leader and to her home. And I'm going to adorn her home. How many brides, girls, you love jewels? Is that right? Is that right? They all say that. Slogan, diamond is a girl's best friend. Don't give her a fake one. Is that right? Because I'm telling you, she's not going to appreciate it. If you tell her it's a diamond, then it's a fake one. See, why has God done this? Because his heart is so excited to show you what he's prepared for his bride because he's in love with you. He made you from him. He made you for him. And thirdly, he made me to express love to him. All he wants back from you is to love him back. So beautiful, so simple. John 4, 23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That's all he's seeking. See, he's not looking for attendees, tithers, volunteers, not looking for any of those. Those are all good. He likes it. But that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for worshipers. And there wasn't an English word that would describe this word worship when they, when they did the translation. 
And eventually they came up with this word, the Greek uh, writing there, which means, which is transliterated as proskuneo. And so what does that mean? The one thing is to understand that it's a verb, okay? It's a verb. And it means, uh, it's an action, well, if it's a verb, it's an action word. Okay, it's not about something we internalize and say, okay, you know what, I think that God knows my heart and I love him in my heart, but I don't do anything about it. I don't show him. No, it's not what that word means. It's an, it's an action word. It actually means to kiss. To kiss. God wants us to kiss him. It, it means to kiss the hand towards, to do reverence or homage by kissing the hand, to bow oneself in adoration. And I thought early this morning when I woke up, I thought, isn't that how things get distorted? You see that in religious settings, everybody bows and kisses the hand of the leader or to a king. See, the father's looking for those who want to kiss him. It's not a lover's kiss. It's to kiss, actually, like a dog licking his master's hand. Now, I don't like dogs licking me, okay? So, but that's what it means. So the illustration is this. It's a dog waiting. And when he hears you, you coming, he's up jumping, licking, wagging, thumping, twirling. Isn't that, all know dogs like that, is that right? They go crazy. Is that right? He's been waiting for you. And it's like waiting and worship. It's like, you know, if you're sitting and the dog's there sitting and they're just staring at you. Hilton's used it a lot of the time, staring at you. And eventually you say, okay, shall we go outside? <laughs> and the tail's going something because that's what he's been waiting for. He's wanting to spend time with you. So I have two pictures of Lacey and Charlie there. And there you can see, they, 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 they're like jumping up, okay? Well, we go to Hilton and Jen's house because they lived with us for their still know our voice. And we hear them and they come to the door and Charlie is jumping up all over the place. And then if we sit down, I say, hello, Charlie, hello, Charlie, hello, Charlie. And he's going crazy and they're twirling around and they're going berserk. And then when you sit down on the, on the, on the chair, they're on your head and they're everywhere. And they're licking you. Is that right? But there's the other one is there. Is that they're expectant, they're looking, waiting. Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Do you come like that to church? Before you get in here in the morning, are you waiting? I'm expectant. I'm expectant. And when you come in, I'm so excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. Because we're going to sing songs, we're going to do all those things. But I can't wait. I can't wait. And when I get there, I'm so excited. I can't help. I can't keep still. A comedian said, you can tell that your dog loves you more than your spouse. He said this, lock both of them in the boot of your car. Come back in an hour and see which one is happy to see you. That's what it's about. See, of all the words God could have used, this is the one He chose, proscuneo. That's what God is looking from you. So how excited are you about being with me again when you enter the house of the Lord? You said, makes sense. You know what, the other example is when you come home from a long trip, you know in the airport, don't you get a bit jealous? I mean, you go there, nobody's there to meet you. Or you might go and then somebody's there, or it's like, you see other people. 
And they've got, the, they've got their signs up. They've got balloons. They've got everything. And when the person they're coming to meet, they go out there, everybody goes wild. Which one's better? Which one would you prefer? What gods are no different? See, so stop treating him like some distant, faceless, feelingless being that just exists on the pages of your Bible. He's searching right now for those who are waiting at the door, taking a lap, can't wait to see him, love him with all of their hearts, going berserk, running around the room. How are we going to do this? Next week, Hiltwell or Carl or in the next two weeks, they'll tell you, give you some practicals. But we're going to sing, and uh, well, City is going to sing this beautiful song that was sung earlier. And I just want to ask that you would just spend this time reflecting and saying, God, the things that I've heard today, Holy Spirit, will you break them a revelation for me? Teach me how to love you and worship you. You were made from Him, for Him, to express love to Him. Thanks, everybody.